Hello and welcome to episode two of series two of the We Funny Game podcast. I'm Joe Potton and for only the second time in our podcast history, I'm sat next to Daniel Studley. But actually we're not breaking any lockdown rules, are we Joe? No, so we were really concerned that uh, the second lockdown uh, and the prolonged pandemic would uh, put paid to us doing the podcast Definitely. and so we've decided to move into the same household yeah it makes a lot of sense it's a logical decision to continue the podcast for now on just to live in the same house absolutely and then there's a third housemate we've also invited our podcast number one fan gary hamilton <laughs> to live in the same house as well i think he even listens before it comes out doesn't he, he yeah. gets some exclusive access the only yeah. person that uh, gets the unedited version yeah uh, yeah but we've uh, been um i mean i've unloaded all my, my my football shirts i've got a football shirt section uh we've also got a, what, what, what we're terming a feature bookshelf in the living room. It is the Piesta the Resistance of the House. Isn't what, what's that, sorry? Piesta, how do you say it? <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's a big bookcase. <laughs> a great big one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have different shelves, different classic shirts, pennants, hats, programmes. Yeah. Ticket stubs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We've also organised it very well. I'm sure you've all realised we've chosen an international break in order to move house. It's just a natural choice, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Joe, even though we are now both close to our beloved Oxford City, we have a new local team we do kennington athletic i've actually already been to see them um they're i believe oxford we should have looked this up oxford senior league step seven o- oxford yeah. senior league step seven yeah. yeah and they play um I, well it, it would be a, a hefty goal kick away from our house it's literally just around the corner um I'm in between us and the football ground is an indian restaurant which we're also very very excited to uh, to try so our saturdays are sorted incredible yeah, yeah. so in terms of the football it's gone on over the last week obviously it's fa cup weekend um, just gone in an incredible amount of giant killings, Joe. Probably one of the most ever, I think. Was it 14 teams are through? Yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, what I was a bit concerned about with no fans in the stadium is that maybe for these smaller teams, the home advantage would be cold. It would not be there, but actually that's not been the case at all. Massively. I think for our little Oxford City, massive shout out to them. Obviously, um, beat Northampton live on BT Sport on Monday night. Incredible achievement. Like only the second time they've beaten a Football League opposition in their what history. What about that goal line clearance? World class. Unbelievable diving, QPR Loney, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think for clubs like Oxford City, who typically play in front of three or four hundred, them playing against what would have probably been a sold out Marsh Lane, you know, two, three thousand people, um, would have been a bit of an occasion. They'd have been nervous. It would have been crazy, not what they're used to. Northampton Town, on the other hand, play in front of three or four thousand every week. It would be a very normal fixture for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe would you say that favours the non league team a little bit? That it's pretty normal playing in front of a few people, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. We had a few friends on uh, ladders uh, peering over the fence uh, to, to have their piece of the action um, and be part of that amazing moment. But but rather selfishly, perhaps, we sort of, if they do get to the third round, we really don't want them to get the glamour tie because we can't go. It's, but hor- it's horrible, isn't it? You know, if we did draw a Premier League team away, it's one of those, it's almost like, remember, haven't took the lead twice at Liverpool. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's a once in a lifetime kind of occurrence, isn't it? And, it? and it has to be the year where no one's allowed to go. But then... Well, I don't know. The third round is in January. We're probably not going to be able to And we've to still go. got to try and beat Shrewsbury away. And also, so, yeah, this is the yeah, thing that people do. <laughs> yeah, we've got to play a team in League One away again. Yeah, formidable so. Football League opposition away from home. But they've done it away at Colchester. They almost did it away at Tranmere Rovers. Uh, they've beaten Northampton at home. There's every chance that they can I get I think through. Oxford City only once in the last 10 or 15 years made the first round proper and then have now done it four seasons in a row. Yeah, yeah. Gives them so much financial stability, doesn't it? And also shout out to some, you know, Marine won it Wigan, um, Chorley through as well. 
How is that Adele song by Chorley? That was. Uh, if you haven't looked already, if you've got Twitter, head to the Chorley FC Twitter, um, and there's a fantastic rendition of the players going mental in the uh, in the dressing room. And it was the coach that tweeted it. And what was he disappointed he couldn't do? Oh, uh, <laughs> they were very disappointed that the pubs were shut. I think in his words, he was disappointed they couldn't go out and get walloped tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing in this year and no fans and financial insecurity for these teams to be getting significant financial windfalls. A lot of these games have been and will be televised it's brilliant for these clubs especially City and even at clubs even lower down Oxford City have got through like Marine they're actually a non-elite club so they're not playing any league football I believe they've had some special dispensation that means they are allowed to train because yeah, yeah. there was this rumour that clubs who are non-elite who got through this round then had to play an FA Cup second round most likely against an elite team but be not allowed to train yeah, yeah, yeah. in between the games so you've got you're playing against a team who trained every day you're just, you've just got to do some press-ups on Zoom. That's all you could do. So as always, we have a little Belarus bit of our podcast episode. <laughs> um, obviously, international break weekend, uh, so no Belarus Premier League going on. But... The season is at a pivotal stage. Just two games to go. And it's all to play for, Joe, top and bottom. Absolutely. I feel like we've been there the whole way. Um, it, this has been one you've of been the breathing. staples of 2020s, the Belarus League. I wonder if we're going to continue to follow this basically for the rest of our lives. I, I think so, Joe. I think so. So in terms of the bottom, um, the bottom two teams do go down. Third from bottom actually plays third in the second tier of Belarus football to decide whether they just stay where they are or they swap. Um, what do you think of that, Joe, actually? Teams playing from different leagues in a playoff? Uh, it's a, a little bit strange. It's a little, but, but I guess it gives an incentive for someone to finish third in the lower league. It also gives an incentive if you're in the bottom three to finish as high up in that bottom three as possible. We've got Smolovici down at the bottom. I mean, it's all red and L's uh, on the form guide for them. They're gone. Belshina rallied after not winning a game uh, for, for, for several weeks at the start of the season, but it looks like they're gone as well. Um, everyone's beloved Slutsk down are in serious Slutsk trouble. Slutsk are going to be in the playoff, in the relegation playoff. Yeah, serious trouble. Gorodea above them have only lost one of their last five, and it, and it, it looks like it's a bit of an insurmountable climb for the team that was top when we last when we finished season one. Exactly. And now they're going to go down. What's crazy for my team, Neiman, um, they're in third. They're currently in a European spot. They've only played in Europe once in the last 15 seasons. So I'm a bit, I feel like a bit of a glory support <laughs> picking them this year and supporting them. But yeah, just two games to go. There are teams breathing down their neck, um, most notably Dynamo Brest and Dynamo Minsk. Both um, hot in form. Dynamo Minsk in sixth with won five in a row and they're just six points off Neiman. So it is all to play for at the top. There's always that team that charges up. You normally get it in the Championship in England when there's a team charging up for the, 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 the last playoff spot. Um, it looks to me like uh, Dynamo Minsk are going to be that team. And what's interesting about the Belarus League is obviously it's a summer league so it's going to come to its culmination now. So they're going to qualify for Europe next summer. Yeah. So you could theoretically have teams who are doing really badly in their league midway through their season next season. Yeah. And they're still going to be in Europe. Yeah. So you have quite a long wait, don't you? You know, typically in an English season, it's pretty normal. You finish your season in the next summer, you're in Europe. 
Yeah. Whereas these teams have got to wait an awful long time to actually play these European games yeah. they've qualified for. Exactly. And it, it, it could be that you qualify for Europe and then you have to wait the next season, you sell some players, you don't play as well, um, and then you, you, you can't play as well in Europe. But I guess it's the same for countries across Europe that have summer seasons. They probably have to contend with the same thing. Definitely. Uh, but next week is the penultimate round of fixtures. Uh, the week after it is the final round of fixtures. The best place for you to be, to be kept abreast with everything going on in the Belarus Premier League is the We Final Game podcast, so don't go anywhere. I know we're a six-episode series, but really only episodes three and four matter because they're the culmination of the Belarus Premier League, aren't they? That's so it, exactly. So now we move on to the theme. Last week we discussed the shouts uh, and sounds that you hear from players, managers and fans at non-league football. Uh, We're going on to a broader topic. We're sticking with S. We're going for shirts, football shirts. Uh, Dan, why don't we start by describing the shirts that we're currently wearing? We shall indeed. I am wearing a Dutch 1988 shirt, actually with the old Adidas Originals. Um, It's a classic classic Jay what have you got on absolutely so I'm wearing my newest football shirt in my collection uh, this is the uh, Wolves ni- uh, away shirt we wore it between 1990 and 1992 back in the glory days when kits lasted for two years uh, it was made by Bukta sponsored by Goodyear uh, instantly recognisable as a Wolves shirt it's a lovely shade of blue uh, with the little Wolves uh, heads worked into the design it's an absolute treat and Joe over recent years your collection's built up um, quite dramatically hasn't it I don't know about recent years, recent months. I mean, it's been one of my lockdown things. Some people have been making bread. I've just been buying football shirts. Um, I mean, it's it's still pretty humble compared to some collections that I've seen. There's 24 in my uh, uh, new cupboard uh, in, the, uh, in the new house. I think about half are Wolves and half are other ones. There's some seriously random ones there. Um, but yeah, no, it's grown slightly. I guess working from home and being at home all the time, uh, especially in, in, in the hotter months, football shirts are perfect. Yeah, definitely. And as I introduced on the, when we talked about this theme on the last episode, you know, people aren't going to games. People would normally be spending money on programmes, on tickets, on travel. Or um, actually, you know, merch is probably your, your, your kind of way to connect with your club at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of our clubs, buying your first football shirt and having the shirts of your team is a really big thing. So, uh, have you still got the first shirt? Still you? got my first shirt. It doesn't fit me at all. Obviously, Bristol City playing red. It's now a pink shirt. Yeah. <laughs> You've left so, it by the window for two. Yeah, but it's not. But it's not going anywhere. That shirt. And we've had Bristol City. have had some. Um, you know, the purple and lime, as I've always talked about with Bristol City, is a classic away shirt. We beat Liverpool in in nineteen ninety four, and it's made a resurgence in recent years as our away kit, and it's a bit of a cult classic. As Joe it's shakes his head, a, a cult classic because they beat Liverpool twenty six years ago, <laughs> and then they're just still dining out. On they it recreate, yeah, exactly, yeah. ridiculous. Um, for me, my first kit was uh, the a white ninety seven Wolves away shirt, Puma Goodyear, absolutely fantastic. Uh, it got bought for me when I was about five. It said Joe on the back and I wore it on holiday and I wore it at home and I wore it everywhere. And I think my mum thought that when I grew up, I would grow out of wearing football shirts on holiday. Um, but then a few years ago, I went on uh, the internet and I found a large version. So I now 
wear it everywhere on all holidays. That is a question with shirts, Joe. Is there an age too old, not too old? Because I think there were, there's certainly been times, I know football shirts with retro and they're all making a big comeback nowadays, but do you reckon there is there is there was an age where you just say, I'm too old for a football shirt? Or... Well, I think there's different levels to this, right? So I think by... I think it's reasonably acceptable for almost anyone, apart from maybe your granddad, that's maybe where it stops, okay. to wear a football shirt to a game. Yeah. I think a, a, a deeper question is your own name on the back. Surely that stops it. Also, for name and surname. Did you not question your dad when you had Joe and you had all the players got surnames? <laughs> Why have I got my forename? Well, no, it's like, or did you think that was all their first names? Well, it, I mean, it's, 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 it's coming to trend because now you've got Joe Martino, Diogo, Jotti. You now they use their mm. full names, yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, obviously, player names and numbers, that's that's fine. I think you can get away with that. But your own name and then people get their age, don't they? I guess you've got dad 50 and all this with 50th birth, that sort of thing. Um, but I think really for your own name and number, you, you're looking at any older than primary school. Well, that's a little bit dodgy, I reckon, on the back of your shirt. Yeah. yeah. I heard a podcast with Jason Manford and he was talking about his dad asked what player do you want? And he was like looking down the squad list and his dad said only only players who've got four four letters in their name <laughs> because it's a pound a letter or something. I thought that was quite Well, funny. when Denver Bar was knocking all the goals in for Newcastle, yeah, yeah. parents curing out the door, with, not yeah, exactly. yeah. Meanwhile, Sean Wright Phillips wasn't as popular. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and on that note, you know, in terms of Costa shirts, you know, upwards of 60 quid. And, and as we'll hear from our, our um, guest later on in the episode, um, you know, clubs make a ridiculous amount of different types of the same shirt now replica player um technical it's got a bit crazy i thought 40 pounds was a lot for a football shirt but... yeah exactly and well, you're right I, I noticed arsenal who don't haven't exactly covered themselves in glory in many ways over the over the lockdown at all but they were charging the, the most expensive shirt was a hundred pounds and that was the player issue so you could buy it and you could feel like those defenders felt as Villa scored that third goal at the Emirates. You know, maybe that's what they want to just be as close to. It's just absolutely stupid. You smell like a player, do you reckon? Is that the player shirts? Well, you I get don't authentic know. scent. Exactly. Well, maybe or... maybe it's more breathable. I don't know. Something like that. Um, exactly. I, I've got no idea. But also, I mentioned it already. When we started following football, you'd have a home kit for two years and a away kit for two years, and they'd alternate. So actually a new kit was a really exciting thing. It happened once every other year. Now you've got three kits a year. Goalkeeper um, kits. Goalkeeper so. kits. The, having said that, the Bristol City goalkeeper kits are, are, are worth Excellent, it this season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, based on a Danish kit from the 90s. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're brilliant. But it's just a bit overkill, um, I think. Um, so there's a bit of a resurgence. We're both wearing them in retro football shirts. Massively. Yeah, I think the sort of fashion of 80s and 90s, even 70s shirts um, coming back in clubs actually not just selling them in like a retro range but actually having them as their main kits um yeah. it's really come back in recent years and do you reckon it'll be i always wonder like in the future you think in in 30 years from now will there be like shirts from from like 2010 that will suddenly be a retro <laughs> shirt and like i can't see it it's a bit because it's because it's it's just the culture of shirts the look of shirts have changed so much haven't they yeah the but i guess the 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 people who are growing up at school age now when they get to their 30s and 40s, they'll probably feel nostalgic. Will there be a retro of a retro of a retro shirt, do you reckon? How so, far does it go back? Yeah. Or maybe they just get added to the retro collection as the yeah, years go maybe. by. I'm not yeah. sure. And well, on that point, actually, there's kits that were rubbish when they were released that are now really trendy. I can't imagine the bruised banana kit for Arsenal was particularly popular. And now it's a cult classic. Wolves had the the, the infamous tyre track kit. Uh, my dad's got an original. It's absolutely fantastic now. But it, no one bought it. It was derived. And like I mentioned with Purple and Lime, it, it, often it comes back to a game or a season. Yeah. If you've had a rubbish season, 
that shirt will probably get lost. Yeah, and yeah. A novelty away colour, you know, might just get lost. But if you got promoted or you won a cup or you won something big wearing that shirt, yeah, yeah, yeah. then it just sticks with your club yeah, for, yeah. for generations, doesn't it? Speaking of football shirts, uh, this Friday, the 20th of November, is actually Football Shirt Friday, uh, which is happening for its eighth year in aid of the Bobby Moore Fund for Cancer Research UK. The idea is that you just wear a football shirt all day. Uh, It used to be in the office, but now it's obviously at home. Uh, I'm sure my colleagues will all appreciate the 1993 Scarborough Athletic shirt that I may or may not be wearing when I join the call. Uh, So why not get involved? Uh, Donate to a great cause. It's hashtag Football Shirt Friday. Happy to be joined by Daniel, one half of the uh, Two Men in Search of the Beautiful Game blog. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. We both feel a little bit starstruck for the last few years. We've both been following you on uh, YouTube and on social media. Um, But before we start, why don't you tell us uh, how you got into football in the first place? Well, I don't come from, I suppose, what you'd call a football family. I don't have, uh, you know, a granddad or... Uh, a dad who was particularly into football. I've been cursed with two Chelsea supporting uncles, but it was my best mate at school who was a Spurs fan. And Euro 96, like so many people my age, just absolutely swept me up in the whole kind of madness of it all, the drama and the... I'm old enough to remember World Cup 1990, but I don't really have any recollection of it. So so 96 was really my first tournament, my first kind of football experience. I think I'm pretty sure I watched every single game uh, from Euro 96, except for the well, the semis would have been played at the same time, or sort of the quarters or whatever it would have been. Do you have the Panini sticker album? I didn't, you know, do you know what? I've, I've, I was a bit late to the Panini thing. I think my first Panini might have been like like World Cup 2010, maybe. Like I was a late bloomer when it came to came to the Panini stuff. And like everyone, I've never completed one, except you two. I bet one of you's completed a Panini album. I'm going to hold my hands up and say I cheated. I lived in a small village in Gloucestershire when I grew up, and I was the only kid, I think, in the shop, <laughs> in the shop who used to collect it. And the shiny had more of a cardboard backing. So I used to get a box from the back of the shop and fill them and always guarantee a shiny, which is actually... That's that's like those those people who collect um, Pokemon cards. They take scales with them and weigh the packs (laughs) because it's got a better one in it. I love that. So then it was was January 96 was my first game. It was a White Hart Lane. Um, I went with my mate from school, Rob Walbourne. It was a one-all draw. Kevin Pressman was in goal for Sheffield Wednesday and he was just mercilessly insulted about being fat for an hour and a half. <laughs> and actually, not I mean, he's all right now, but my mate got hit by a car about five minutes after we parted company on that day after the game. He's fine. He was fine. No long-lasting injuries. Um, so it's quite a memorable day for, for quite a few. Um... Certainly for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And for me, it was just, but it was it was walking up the tiny, narrow little concrete aisle, mm-hmm. and then that green pitch and those blue seats, and that was me. I was done. Is and then World Cup '98, and and after that, it's just been ever since, really. And obviously, you've gone from having a season ticket for so many seasons, and 
sort of completely ditching it, going to non-league and having a different dynamic to your football supporting days. So how's that? Where did that switch come? I mean, it was if if I could afford a season ticket, I'd still have one. Okay. So I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. There are a lot of non-league people who, for one reason or another, have denounced, you know, league football, Premier League football. And I'll be honest, I mean, this probably won't go down very well with some people, but there are lots of people who are slightly, almost a bit snobby if you, within the non-league community, if you like a league team, almost like it's non-league's the only way, you know? And, and I love non-league football, but if I had a choice to go to be a season ticket and go and see Spurs every weekend and I could afford it, I would do that. But I got priced out. I was a kid when I was originally going. I then became an adult at 14 or whatever, a football club classes as an adult. And that was it. I just couldn't afford it. I used to go to Barnet a lot as well. So you can see what used to be underhill out of my bedroom window. So when Tottenham played away, I'd go to Barnet. And I think it was about a tenner for a season ticket. And then I think you paid a pound on the gate every game or something. Like, it was absurd. What do you think was the moment where you really started to discover non-league football? I had no concept of football outside the Football League until 2015. Absolutely no concept of it whatsoever. Probably, like, a few people laughed at the silly names when someone got into the third round of the FA Cup or Tottenham got drawn against someone, you know, but but really was completely blinkered to that whole world. And then Tom and I, so who I do the blog with, he's an Arsenal fan, I'm a Spurs fan. We realised in New Year 2015 that other than North London Derby, we don't watch any football together. So we wanted to find a way to watch football together. Obviously, your YouTube channel blog is now, you know, massive, 2,000, nearly 2,000 YouTube subscribers. It's, how has it grown? And has it been something that you kind of just wanted to document your experiences or did you want it to get as big and as popular as it is now? So uh, it was New Year. Tom suggested we try and see, I think, every side outside the Premier League within the M25 in a year. And then we looked at it and realised that was just ridiculous because there are like <laughs> thousands of them. So then we thought maybe we'd adopt a team. Um, so we picked Wingate and Finchley. There are literally less than 10 minutes away from where we grew up. Had no idea they were there. Yeah, must have passed them a million times as a kid, as growing up on the bus. No idea they were there. I guess it was just a chance for us to indulge our writing and photography. The videos, Tom pushed for a while at the beginning. And I'll be honest, I shot him down. I had no concept that people would want to watch us talk about football I just thought it was a bit silly really so um they were a bit they came a bit later on it was really just a chance for us to kind of capture our day in a blog in some photos and then share them you know with the wider world and if someone wants to read or look at them then great but there was no kind of we no aspirations to be youtube creators or you know try and blagging free meals at <laughs> well, it, it's clearly something people want to watch. Uh, as Dan said, one and a half thousand YouTube subscribers, nearly seven thousand followers on Twitter, a good following on Instagram. So we're five years, nearly six years in. Uh, two men in search of the beautiful game. Are you still searching, or do you think you've, you're you're a bit closer to finding it? That's the gold, golden question I wanted to know. Yeah. The problem is, if we find it, I, we can't really carry on. Uh, <laughs> I think we found, it's, I'm, I'm a bit of a romanticist. I'm a bit of a nostalgia freak. We made a very conscious effort from the beginning, not to slag anyone off, but I, I think we see little traces of the beautiful game everywhere we go from 
you know, Tom laughs at me about how gooey I'll get about a stand or like you said, a turnstile or so we've been close. We've been close a lot in Yorkshire, actually. Yorkshire has been very kind to us when we went to North Ferriby. When we went to Bridlington, the the welcome was unreal. The setting, I mean, it just just almost ticked every single box. I've totally fallen head over heels for Stockport County. That's where my um, my partner's from. And one of our on our first time up to, I met her parents. We went to a Stockport County game. You initiate that. Oh. <laughs> I can't remember. Possibly, probably. And her parents turned up with a scarf each for us at the station, a Stockport County scarf. So it was. Yeah, maybe it was them. Yeah. No awkward cups of tea in the conservatory. Straight straight to Edgeley Park. (laughs) Straight to the Armoury pub for some iffy local ale, and (laughs) it was against Millwall. So it was it was quite a um an eventful. Bet you had to keep your London accent a bit. I got well into it. I think I had too much of the local iffy ale. I was I was well into <laughs> Stockport. I was I think no one had heard anyone shouting that loudly for a while. There. But the reception from the county fans to our stuff, you know, bumping into them at games, we try and whenever they play in London, try and get along. Reception from their fans has been unreal. To some overweight southerner who's doesn't have an, a, much of affiliation with the club other than his other half. They've been fantastic, like, absolutely amazing. So there we go. So obviously you've been to countless grounds. Um, do you have particular favourite? I've got a bit of a thing for. I do like a non-league side who used to be a league side. I think there's something quite exciting about that. Something quite again quite romantic about that. That kind of fall from grace because if you go to Edgeley Park. It's an unreal ground. I mean, you've got that big stand on the Cheadle end behind one goal. You've got like the viaduct in the in the distance. You've got the chimneys from the Hat Museum. Like it's just such an unreal setting. It is so cool. But then Wingate and Finchley, they've got the most uh, unreal like Art Deco kind of 1920s, 30s main stand. Um, same at Enfield Town as well. And the the Wingate one is double sided, so it's a rugby club stand on the opposite side and the football club stand on on one side as well the shea as well halifax on cheadle's nice chorley's a great ground too oh there's just so many really no your video is amazing in dressing rooms and um, on the pitch of the players and how how has that kind of access come about and well the first the first game at wingate i i just emailed them just completely by chance and said would you mind if we came and took some photos of you know kind of behind the scenes i think our aim is always to try and capture a match day from beginning to end. Uh, uh, so I do this. I go through the same process before once we decide on what game we're going to go to. I'll contact the club, be it via Twitter or via email or whatever. Just say what we're doing. I think, like, thankfully now, people were probably a bit, I don't know, suspicious is the right word, but a bit like we didn't quite get it. But hopefully we've done it enough times now that we can show them an example of what we've done in the past and, and they realise what we're about. And I think we've had one or maybe two clubs say no. Other than that, everyone has been open, you know, welcomed us with open arms and has given us all the access that, that we want to do. It does mean we have to turn up quite early, which is much to Tom's annoyance, but um, 
so moving on to this week's theme for the podcast is football shirts and yeah. you're, you're you're currently sat um in front of uh, a rail full of football shirts and i believe a couple of boxes full of shirts as well uh, rails, oh rails, my word rails, not rails. rails. If you, at, at the moment 2020 is you know people are choosing the the background for their video conferencing i think this is one of the best that i've seen um just endless football shirts do you know roughly the number of shirts in your collection well it's kind of ebbs and flows because i can't i do sell some um to you know fund the 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 next one i i don't know <laughs> i don't know hun- hundreds well, it looks like hundreds it looks yeah like i mean it is. do you have um well we could we could go favorite shirt it's a bit of a corny question are there shirts that stand out in your collection that mean a lot to you maybe they're uh, relate to to a childhood footballing memory or um you're particularly fond of the design let's have a look at a few of those reaching back to the rail <laughs> that's a that's a player issue so uh, 94 96 liverpool that's a player issue one okay. I, like, I like the giant crests on the kind of design as well i'm a big fan of numbers on the back without a name there's something yeah cool. yeah 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 definitely um, this isn't actually it but that was my first ever spurs shirt the this isn't it. that's in my mum's loft yeah. somewhere but that was my first ever this I, is do a big... my, um, I do remember my first Bristol City shirt, um, 90, 1998, and it is now pink. Obviously, Bristol City playing red, but it's, <laughs> shirt. but it's but it's going nowhere. Obviously, I've got I like I've got again. It's not my team, but I've got the you know the famous grey United one. Um, the one changed the half time, I think. At Southampton. I think Southampton, yeah, because they, they look like the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't find each other. What else? What else? I feel like you could pick any shirt out from this rail and it would be absolutely fantastic. Have you got any? Oh, I've, got low, I've got probably more Arsenal ones than I have Tottenham ones, unfortunately. So uh... yeah, those are the ones that you sell. <laughs> Someone kind of football shirts, obviously, you know, football league, Premier League clubs, the price just seems to be going up and up. I actually think £40 was a lot, but now it's 60 I think, for a Bristol City shirt this season. Oh, the, and, and you can get like, what's it they call the stadium version or the Player spec version, and then you get a centenary one, and then you get a blacked out one, and then you know, I just, I mean, it's it's kind of criminal, really. I mean, you know, my dad used to say to me that football's the only business in the world where you can treat people like shit and they keep on coming back. You know, it's like before, if you think if you had a company, if you got you know had a bad performance or you got relegated or the equivalent you 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 know if, or if a restaurant gave you crap food you wouldn't go back but football you just keep on going back you just keep on going back you keep on going back you buy the shirt you buy this you buy that for me i think if if anything that's the element of it that is the most unappealing to me more than anything else i think is is that you know, we're all units, we're all customers, we're all someone to sell something to. I think I think for me that's that's the most unattractive part of it. I feel like more and more every year with professional football, you are just an ID number. They don't care who you are, what you are. Whereas we go to games and we're genuinely influencing the game. We talked about shouts on episode one, like shouts you hear at non-league football. You know, I feel like I have single-handedly influence something that's happened on the pitch i've sent the wall one meter to the right and it's going to the top corner i've said i've said he has a man on he doesn't have a man on and when you're in the you know third tier in a big stadium you're just an id number paying paying silly money aren't you yeah. so yeah yeah no definitely is there anything that you would say makes your perfect football shirt in- the perfect football shirt 
I mean, anything Umbro's made in the 90s, really, I think is 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 pretty close. I mean, this is maybe my all-time favourite shirt. Oh, so that's Norway away. Norway away. <laughs> yeah, 97, 98. Now, I don't think you can get much. I mean, it's kind of like probably giving you a mild headache. It looks, you know, you know, when you're on clip art at school and you could make a word and then you, you click the button. Thought, it it reminded me of winning on solitaire. When you used to bounce the cards. It's yeah. sliding down the shirt. You know, you've got a decent collar on it. But I, I think it, it does look like a Norwegian mountain range, doesn't it? Because you've got... Yeah, a bit ski slow, bit ski Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. that's probably that's kind of the pinnacle for me, um, because it, for me, football's a lot about is nostalgia is about remembering, you know, Tore Andre flow in that or, you know, World Cup night. Again, I think I watched almost every game of France 98 and all the kits then it just always it's always rung a bell for me, you know, probably like you chaps probably watched um football Italian football on a Saturday morning and uh, you know and what's Pirelli like I've never heard of Pirelli before <laughs> and, and you know and all this kind of what's Opal and stuff like that like it's just so kind of exotic almost Parmalat or you know and all this kind of stuff so it's just a way of you know some people collect toys they had when they were kids or some people collect other things and I guess football shirts is just um how I connect with that part of growing up I guess Absolutely. It keeps the memory of a tournament alive. Or if, if you wear yeah. a, a Palmer shirt, you can almost, it's almost like you feel like you're part of that squad in the 90s. Yeah, you are. You, you become Lillian Turan for 15 minutes. <laughs> That's it. Like, Wonderful. Um, Daniel, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank oh, you. Oh, thank so you, guys. Um, how can people follow you and Tom? Uh, I think uh, it's really at the beautiful game 1515, but give yourself. Yeah, that's pretty much on everything. So on Twitter, on Facebook, if anyone actually uses Facebook anymore, Instagram, YouTube, yeah, it's all at beautiful game 15. I think, I think most people probably know us as that because too many search for beautiful game is such a ridiculous mouthful, but we're kind of stuck with it a bit. But yeah, beautiful game 15 on all your social media and stuff. You can follow us and subscribe and do all that stuff if you want to do that and um fingers crossed come december we'll have some more videos and i'm catching up with the blogs and stuff so yeah it's all out there if you want to check it out that'd be really cool so we have one sentence for you to finish to end this little section i love non-league football because oh the people no brainer So that was an excellent little conversation with Daniel. Um, great insight into... He's got a lot more access than us in non-league football, hasn't he? Absolutely, yeah. It's a complete pleasure speaking to him. Um, he mentioned it, but if you don't follow him already, uh, uh, him and Tom, Beautiful Game 15, Beautiful Game 15, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all the socials, that's what they call them. Uh, so please give him a follow. Hopefully we can see them at a game very soon. Definitely. Um, so on to our We Found a Game Club Shop. We cut that ribbon and opened our doors. Um, we've got all those COVID secure things in place. You've got Arrows on the floor. One-way system and wear your mask and all yeah, that. But yeah, we're yeah. still open. Um, 
in the house because I guess we are quite essential, aren't we? Really, I think so. Yeah. But please, as you're wa- watching this, there's a few chant breaks that we put in that are about twenty seconds. They'd be perfect for you to go and wash your hands. So yeah, just that's really important. Hands, face, yeah. space, and all of that. Yeah, yeah all definitely. of that. Um, but we're back in the We Found Again Club Shop, uh, and we've restocked uh, this week's theme of shirts. So we've gone for a shirt themed, but also pandemic themed item: uh, face coverings uh, themed on football shirts. Um, there's two offerings that we found. One is the terracestore.com uh, and the other is Art of Football. Um, I love both of these websites just in general. They're worth a visit. Excellent. Yeah, definitely. Um, Art of Football is actually where I got um, an amazing print of um, Corey Smith scoring the winner against Manchester United for Bristol City. Um, some great prints of classic um, moments from clubs. Um, and one of our favourite face masks, our beloved Scarborough Athletic, um, it's a black mask with a white Scarborough crest, and the crest is the size of the whole mask. <laughs> so about half of your face is a Scarborough athletic crest. Absolutely, yeah. The Arsenal football uh, guys have been repurposing old shirts. So your face mask is actually formerly a classic shirt, which they've turned into a face mask. Um, so head to that website, and then the Terrace Store is the other one. Um, so I don't know how long we're going to be wearing face masks, but you might as well look good in them. Um, and this is a surefire way of doing that. Absolutely. And on to the spreadsheet section. I said it right this time. Getting better every week. I know. I think, I think I'm going to nail it by the end. Um, <laughs> obviously, we did January and February in our favourite grounds we've been to. Um, this week, we're going to do March and April. Joseph, March. Wonderful. So I was looking through my spreadsheet. There are 30 grounds that I visited for the first time during March. So many good ones. Uh, in fact, one just before lockdown was the brand new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which was absolutely fantastic. Made even better by the fact that we won 3-2. Twerton Park, probably my favourite non-league ground. That was first visited in March. Um, but I'm going to go for another overseas one. Uh, it was a few years ago, I went to Austria and I watched first Vienna FC. They're called that because they were the first club in Vienna it's as simple as that Uh, they've got a rich history they've fallen to the wayside I think they were playing in the third or fourth tier when I watched them but it's a on a Friday night it was a brilliant um uh, old stadium with this one stand that was populated we were in the little terracing on the right hand side there was a lad with bagpipes which was completely bonkers uh, it was the first game of the season I think they won 4-0 brilliant start to the season um and it was just a, a whole heap of fun and a great start to the weekend so Stadion Hoa Water I think is how you say it First Vienna, that's my march. And my march is going to be um, Leighton Orient, Brisbane Road, um, in the heart of East London, um, and just incredible ground. In- sorry, sorry, I think you have to say the beating heart of East London. That's the, that's <laughs> is the, that, the, is the official, official term. Is it? Brilliant. <laughs> Obviously, the ground has kind of changed over time. It's now a lot more modern. They've still got a couple of older stands. Um, they've actually built flats on, on each of the four um, corners, haven't they? And we were there watching them play against um, Sheffield Wednesday uh, seven or eight years ago, I think it was now. And incredible atmosphere. Sheffield Wednesday, I remember, filled a whole side stand, brought three, four thousand, a couple of Sheffield Wednesday fans dancing to the... To the, 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 the tango man, wasn't it? Yeah, shirtless. that was it. Yeah, shirtless, <laughs> dancing alongside what the, the dancing girls were doing on the pitch at that time. That was hilarious. Um, and also, during lockdown, um, fans have actually been renting out flats, haven't they, at Leighton Orient to watch games. So, amazing. Um, and, you know, obviously London, you're competing with lots of massive Premier League yeah. clubs. Um, and obviously, they've been through their own financial difficulties obviously the sad news with just Edinburgh um, ex-manager as well passing away so um, you know an, an incredible club and I think there's a lot of 
um, things we've seen in recent years where it's a real community club and they've all yeah. come together for obviously the Justin situation um, yeah. and obviously um, for all the financial difficulties they've had as well. Yeah, if, you, if you're someone who genuinely has uh, something uh, to be begrudged about by Leighton Orient, please let us know because I honestly I can't think of a single reason you wouldn't like Leighton Orient. One of our friends, Tom, he... Uh, was a student at University of East London, I believe, was an employee of that night. Um, he got a very cheap, I can't remember, I think it was £50 or something that season ticket they did for students at the university. Yeah. So I know he went sort of 10, 15 games that season. Um, so they obviously really engaged with not just their local community, but their student community as well. Yeah, so yeah, 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 I can't find a bad word for it. A already. brilliant asset for their community. Right, let's move into April. Uh, it goes down to 19 new grounds for me in April. April's a good month. It's normally the season's coming to an end, the weather's getting better. Uh, a lot of my 19 22 were done in April. Forest, Leicester, Charlton, Norwich, Fulham, Dan's favourite, uh, Arsenal, the Emirates Stadium, Peterborough, London Road. Um, I also did Broadhall Way, sorry, Stevenage. It was my 100th football ground. That was in April. Uh, but the winner for me, I'm going non-league. Sphinx Drive, home of Coventry Sphinx. Less because of the ground, more because of the occasion. Uh, it was Coventry Sphinx versus Hereford in the Midland Premier League. Hereford, formerly of the Football League, went bust, uh, fell from grace, reformed, and this was their first season back. And this game, they needed to win to win the title, their first promotion of the new team. And there were a few hundred Hereford fans, including myself and my good friend Danny Garnett, travelled up, watched them get promoted. It's one of the most memorable footballing experiences I've had of Phoenix rising from the flames. So that's my one for April. Incredible. Um, in my April, I'm going to stay in the Football League this time and I'm going to do um, Sheffield United. I was thinking, I don't think you could, I've ever had win, lose or draw a bad football experience in Sheffield, whether that's with Wednesday, United or Sheffield FC. Um, you know, <laughs> just just an amazing, amazing city. Um, lives, breathes football. Um, you know, not the biggest city in the country, but to sustain two clubs that get 20, 30,000 every week, um, is just um, incredible, really. So it shows how massive football is there. Bramall Lane, Sheffield United, I first went there, um, April 2011. You know, Joe, you get those things with, with grounds and you always see your team. I think I've seen Bristol City win three times there, maybe lose one or draw one. Um, and you just have amazing memories of those grounds. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you go to a ground you've lost there a couple of times, you just, have a, you just remember it being a really bad experience. Even if the day and the ground and everything is great, you just remember it being really negatively. But Sheffield United is incredible. And obviously an amazing amount of history. I think England have played a cricket test match at Bramall Lane. Like, yeah. And there's been FA Cup finals there. There's been yeah. England. It's, it's one for your pub quiz. I think it's I think it's the longest continually used sports venue in England. Yeah, I, I think. think it is. Yeah, you're right. Um, just amazing fans, amazing city. Um, and yeah, Bramall Lane for me is my April. It's been quite a good mix so far. We've got a bit of non-league, bit of overseas, bit of football league. Um, so, but we've got a bit of a challenge on our hands. Um, oh, yeah. May and June, Just thought that. It, it, it dries up. So um, it we've got a week to think of them. Yeah, excellent. So I'd like to end the episode with a bit of feel-good. Obviously, Averton went back to play lane last week. It was amazing. Um, this week, we're going to talk a bit about Accrington Stanley. Um, Who are they? 
exactly. Um, <laughs> you just can't really um, dislike Accrington Stanley, kind of the amazing football club. Um, last few years, uh, they've given away football shirts to local kids. Obviously, you've got so many competing clubs in that part of the world in terms of Premier League and big clubs for kids to support in local schools. Um, this year, they've given away 1,200 football shirts, Accrington Stanley football shirts, to 40 schools. Um, they've done it for four years in a row now. Um, an, an incredible gesture. Um, and, and also, you know, it, it gets everybody talking and thinking about their local football team down the road. You know, not your Man United, not your Man City. Um, not only do you get a football shirt each. Which is a good kit this year, by the way. Which is an amazing kit. You, apparently, you get a goodie bag containing items such as, I mean, maybe it's even more than this, <laughs> flags, fridge magnets, and Joe, yo-yos. I want an Accrington Sunny yo-yo. Where do I get That'd one? be incredible, wouldn't it? I need to go, we need to go get yo-yos, I think. Um, but amazing gesture. Um, so don't that make you feel good? You know, so go and support your local team. Get kids watching and supporting their local football club. You can't get can't ask for more than that. Can Absolutely. You? If you head to Twitter, um, one of Accrington's most famous sons is there promoting it, isn't he, Dan? Yeah, that's right. Our famous uh, cricket pundit David Lloyd um, obviously talks a lot on on the TV and on his social media about Accrington Stanley. Um, so he's a big promoter. I know he did a promotional video, didn't he, about it? Um, and it's all kind of promoted through Twitter account Amazing Accrington at Amazing Aki A W C Y, and they they've talked about a lot of the stuff they do within the local community and their supporters trust and obviously this initiative is one of them so fantastic um joe next week next week yes we've done uh, shouts we've done football shirts we're going to go in a bit of a different direction uh we're going to explore an often unexplored part of a football ground for average football fans like you and i uh we've got someone up our sleeve to delve into and reveal the mysterious world's of the director's box. You say you say a different direction. That's literally because it's a direction we've never been on. <laughs> we've never been that way. Yeah, we've been in clubhouses. Obviously, we talked about clubhouses in in series one, but we talked about that mysterious door in clubhouses where directors get. Ho- get I was going to say hospitalised. <laughs> There's hospitality for them. Well, we might find out. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. it's normally it's, it's normally the only door in a in a football ground that somebody else opens for you. Uh, and and you have to be someone to get in there. So hopefully it'll be quite an interesting exploration into an untouched, well, for us at least, part of a football ground. And we're going to sign big time and say we've got um, connections in the director's box, which is just our mate. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that'd be brilliant to hear about um, you know, his semi-professional football club he's a part of in, in the director's sense and what that experience is like from the other side of the door. Absolutely. So thank you for listening. That just leaves us to say a very, very happy 45th birthday to Mr. Paul Scholes. Thanks for listening.